A sea of gold coins surrounds you, rolling waves of treasure glimmering in the torchlight. You dip your hands into the hoard and let the metal run over your hands and wrists, cool as the rush of a shaded river. You bring a heaping handful to your face, and a regal portrait of an ancient king stares back at you, sternly from each coin. But the rich golden hue begins to fade, cracking and crumbling into mist, and revealing a terribly tarnished metal. A few of the coins drip between your fingers, rejoining the pile in a massive cloud. The surfaces of the coins melt and swirl, reforming. Some still show the portrait of the king, though he now sports a wolfish sneer, his tongue sticking out between his teeth. Others show a rounded bum, mooning you with tarnished, bespeckled cheeks. This scene is called a hoard of fool's gold from Describe. Describe. Describe your world. Visit Describe.com slash RPGBot and use the coupon code RPGBot5 at checkout for $5 off your first subscription payment. Welcome to the RPGBot.podcast. I'm Randall James, your carnival capitalist, and with me is Tyler Kamstra. Hi, everybody. And Ash Eli. Hey, guys. All right, Tyler, <laughs> what is happening? Well, today we are going to talk about gold. So this is one of our favorite punching bags here on the I panel. like gold! <laughs> I like gold! <laughs> <laughs> well... So, if you've played a lot of 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons, you may have realized gold's kind of a pain and it's not very useful. So today, we're going to talk all about that. We're going to try and figure out some ways to make gold meaningful, worthwhile, interesting, you know, all the good things that you would like gold to be. Yeah, and I'll have you know, uh, Tyler has written into the show notes, what do I do with all this junk, all this junk inside this trunk full of gold? I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) what's funny is i i read lots of jokes into our show outlines most of them involve profanity (laughs) but this is a clean podcast so you don't get to see that we we managed to get this one then now it's great maybe we should release the show notes to our patreon subscribers oh patreon.com slash rpg bot that's actually a really good idea okay yeah. i'm sold all right well people listening on patreon check the uh check the ad free patreon post there might be a surprise yes and then you can get to see all of the delicious profanity dad jokes and horrible but beautiful uh typos that tyler puts into our cards every single time it's mostly dad jokes and typos, let's be very honest. <laughs> hey, it wouldn't be RPG bot if there weren't flagrantly obvious typos. <laughs> obvious. Obvious. He even, oh, type, even typos in his speech. You can't make this come up, people. Oh, this is going to be a nightmare to annotate. <laughs> it sure is. That's uh, fine. I can misspell things intentionally in the transcripts. That's fine. Can you? <laughs> hey, so let's talk about gold. Not the comedic kind. Perfect. (laughs) So if you have played 
5th edition Dungeons and Dragons, you have been in a situation where you've looked down at your character sheet, seen a comma in the amount of gold that you have, maybe two, and then thought, okay, I'm going to spend this on something, and then looked at the player's handbook and been like, ah, I guess I buy the economy. Weird. Yeah, yeah no, that's the- 100% real. I mean, like, my favorite take on this, like, I look at the handbook and I'm like, I could spend money on this. Instead, I'm like, Hey, DM, I sure would love to find some full plate laying around somewhere. And wouldn't you know, a lot of times, find it. Yeah, and full plate is the most expensive thing in the player's handbook at 1,500 gold pieces. So when you're sitting at, like, a couple hundred thousand gold pieces, like, I don't know what to do with this, man. Like, I just drink health potions for breakfast every day. (laughs) Hit dice? What are those? (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's, all of our adventures are wearing beer helmets full of health potions just running <laughs> through the dungeon. I'm, I mean, at a certain point, you don't even need wizards. Wizards? I just have all these scrolls. Here's no. a scroll for you, a scroll for you. <laughs> uh. I think I've been told that breaks, though, right? Like, you have to, like, a fighter can't just read a scroll. Can they? It has to be on your spell list. Okay, all right. That's fine. You. Look, if you take one level of wizard... There you go. <laughs> Just we bury the one level wizard in. It's like we have a contingency fee. The contingency fee is if you don't make it, we pay your loved ones very handsomely. I mean, that defeats the entire purpose of scrolls, though, is non magic casters being able to use it. Yeah. Well, all other can of worms. Let's not talk about that. Right yeah. now. Okay. Hey, episode idea. But we can keep gold. Gold. Yeah. All right. So, so the problem goes pretty deep here. Uh, magic items are the most likely thing that players want to spend gold on, and if you're coming from D&D 3.5, 4th edition, either edition of Pathfinder, you are very accustomed to, I would like a magic item, there's a very explicit market price, I can just go buy that in a sufficiently large city. 5th edition doesn't have that. It has a gold price range for magic items, which is pretty absurdly massive and extremely vague and basically just dm here's a vague suggestion good luck uh, there are rules in xanathars for buying magic items but even those depend on those weird kind of unpredictable gold piece prices so be, the ability to spend gold on magic items is unpredictable and at best difficult okay which so means- you say you say like three and three five had a good guide for what gold to spend. Did they also have good guides for what gold to give? Yes, three X, four E, Pathfinder Second Edition all have a very very specific wealth by level curve that is baked into the mechanics of the game. You are expected to get gold at a certain rate and buy equipment with that gold in order to keep yourself on the math. So. We have an article on the the fundamental math of 5th edition, and it's basically just start with a 16 in your favorite ability score, hit 18 at 4, hit 20 at 8. Like, that is the fundamental math. But in 3X, Pathfinder 2nd edition, there's, like, this whole curve that involves enhancement bonuses from items, feats, etc. Like, all these things that you're expected to hit. And that the game is balanced around those ideas. So if you're not getting enough gold, enough treasure, your character is actually weaker than the game expects you to be. If you get too much gold, you're stronger than the game expects you to be. So see our previous episode about crafting, because in those games, if you're crafting very efficiently, then you can be way more powerful than the game expects. Not so in 5th edition. And so I want to offer this almost as a defense of 5th edition, right? Because... 
gold is our favorite punching bag. We talk about it all the time. But the fact that there isn't a strong guide on how often you get gold, nor is there really strong guidance about how expensive items should be, how much gold you should be spending. If you are a storyteller who's trying to put together like, you know, oh, yeah, you know, uh, and your payment was three fifths of a pittance and that lasted (laughs) you a week. Like you can do that. You can have that part of like the grace real like I'm fighting for a crust of bread or you can say. No, magic items are everywhere. They're literally laying in ditches because there's too much stock in the in the stock rooms. And yeah, like you can't carry the amount of gold that you are finding when you kill items. Like you stabbed a squirrel earlier, three gold pieces fell out of a squirrel. <laughs> Whatever story you want to tell, 5e is there for you. But the problem is, ultimately, I think that leads most dungeon masters to basically ignore gold altogether. In a lot of ways, yeah. The random treasure tables do give players like gold art gems like things that have a specific gold piece value at a semi-random rate and like i've done the math on all of this it's a little absurd um i did all the math on this we have an article on starting above first level that includes a wealth by level table for fifth edition the one in the, the dungeon master's guide does not function does not count so uh we'll link that in the show notes and actually, I want to vouch for that. So I start campaigns or I start start one shots all the time at higher than first level. My default answer at this point is, oh, you want magic items? Go read this article on RPG Bot. It really is fantastic for laying out, you know, how many consumables should you have? How many non-consumables should you have? How much extra gold do you have past that that you could spend on other items you might want? It's a fantastic guide to give to somebody when they're trying to put together the entire character heading into a campaign above first level link in the show notes (laughs) yes and the the curve in that table shows like how quickly players will start getting gold so at first level it's basically just starting gear second level not a whole lot but even by second level the players have so much gold that unless you're using heavy armor you can afford the equipment you're going to be using for the next 20 levels you can't forward full plate in about half until about halfway through level five, but that's about it. Other than that, it's basically just divide by 50 and buy health potions. Yeah, I guess you, know, you talk about full plate. So full plate is the most expensive non-magic item in the player's handbook, right? And that goes for 1,500 gold? Yes, and it's, a, it's kind of a classic trick in Adventurer's League that it's easier to get adamantine full plate than regular full plate. So what you'll do is instead of waiting to get 1,500 gold pieces to buy full plate, just the first magic item you get, you just get adamantine full plate because you can get it at like level two instead of level five. Because the trick for getting magic items happens faster than acquiring gold. Exactly. Well balanced. Yeah. (laughs) No, but I think if anything, it shows how hard it is to manage gold in fifth edition. Yeah, uh, let's see. So, so Randall, you've stuck this wonderful table of Adventurers League gold values in the show notes here. So, so talk me through what these magic numbers mean. Ah, uh, yes. No, it's it's a it's called a table, and the table has these columns. No, I'm kidding. Okay. So, <laughs> in the Adventurers League guidance for DMs, uh, which we will have linked in the show notes, you can go click on it. Uh, Adventurers League is really cool. Participate. It's a great time. Uh, they break it down into each of the four tiers, so 1 to 4, 5 to 10, 11 to 16, 7 to 20, and they give you a guide of the minimum gold and the maximum gold 
that you should expect to get on a single adventure during an adventure in Adventurous League. So if you are a level one to four player, the minimum amount of gold that you should get in an adventure is 100 gold. What that means is, let's say you're a party of four, you go in, you know, you stab all the bad guys, you capture all the gold, and at the end of it, you take your share and you're looking and say, this is 20 gold. <laughs> your DM should say to you, okay, and then as a reward or whatever, like you find 80 gold, I don't care, it was on the ground, take it. You get 100 gold. Vice versa, if you find like, oh, I found three diamonds worth a thousand gold at the end of the adventure, there's supposed to be this idea of like, I, no, actually, I, I'm, I was kidding. It's 500 gold. One of those is a fake diamond. Just trust me, bro. <laughs> and, and so on. And so the way this goes, tier one, the range is 100 to 500. Tier two, 1,000 to 500. Ooh, I said that wrong. Tier two, 1,000 to 5,000. Tier three, 10,000 to 50,000. Tier four, 50,000 to 100,000. Um, I'm going to, I just called out a bunch of numbers. I'm going to simplify that. I'm not actually. <laughs> um, numbers so, are numbers. So looking, looking at that math, doing some very quick back of the envelope math, uh, the wealth by level table in our practical guide to starting up first level shows way less gold than that. And gold is already a problem. <laughs> like too much gold is already a problem. And we're looking at like, just like ballparking this characters would likely finish at level 20 with like five or 600,000 gold compared to like maybe a little over 300 in the math that I did. Well, and I sincerely think about this in the campaigns that I have played in, I literally cannot fathom what I would spend that gold on. I'm basically mm -hmm. a dragon running around dungeons, <laughs> stabbing other dragons. That's what I am. Maybe you should just combine all of that gold into a sack and then use that sack to bludgeon people to death. <laughs> no, new character idea for the for the site. I'm a I'm the Monopoly man. <laughs> just one manacle. <laughs> you guys I mean you guys laugh, but uh one of my friends, Matt, did play a character. His name was Sack, and his whole shtick was he would put things into his sack. And beat people with it. <laughs> There's a way to optimize this. I don't know what it is yet. I've got to find it. <laughs> well, the trick is finding a not improvised weapon that is still a sack full of things. No, 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 no. You can get proficiency in improvised weapons. Yeah, and he was he was proficient in improvised weapons. Yeah, <laughs> I, um, I built, I wrote a, a optimization handbook for Pathfinder First Edition for I believe it was the CAD Fighter, which is built around using improvised weapons. You basically stab people with chair legs. It's great. <laughs> it's it's the person at the bar that breaks the beer bottle and then like wields it proficiently. Yeah. Barely. Like when if somebody wields a beer bottle broken with confidence, back away. <laughs> or even better, do what Matt did and break off uh, a femur of a dead dragon and use that as a club. Works. No, that actually time. makes sense. If you <laughs> if you threaten a dude with another dude. <laughs> so speaking of Pathfinder First Edition, let's talk about how to break an economy. Ah. <laughs> so, so pathfinder first edition i mentioned earlier um like the 3x the entire 3x line 4e pf2 um has a specific wealth by level curve that you're expected to stick roughly close to um there are a few abuse cases in pathfinder first edition that's not what we're here for but just because it's so silly if you own 
a certain type of house, I believe it's like a manor or some specific thing, it gives you the ability to search your home for items under a certain value. So you can buy this house, spend 15 minutes searching the house to find spiked gauntlets, and sell those spiked gauntlets. And you can do that infinite. Because that makes sense. It sure does. I find stuff worth, worth, you know, 50 gold pieces all the time. <laughs> or fifty dollars all the time in my house. Just oh yeah. Well, it's uh, a rare know, item. Right Ash, here. I believe the problem is, uh, would you consider what you live in a manor? Touche. Because uh. <laughs> <laughs> I guarantee you, Queen Elizabeth walks the halls from time to time and be like, "Is that gold armor? What? <laughs> I could sell that and buy magic items. What am I doing?" <laughs> <laughs> she might think that, um, and we love her for it. God well, the queen. we're never having the queen on the podcast, apparently. <laughs> I don't think that was likely anyway. Fair. <laughs> the ship might have sailed. Uh. <laughs> so, so let's talk about 5th edition again. 5th um, edition does not have this explicit wealth by level curve. The amount of gold you have, unless the DM gives you some way to turn that gold into something useful, you can have an infinite quantity of gold and it will not matter one bit as soon as you can afford full plate. It's basically monopoly money. Um, there are, it's, it's monopoly money while you're not playing monopoly. You're playing D and D. Exactly. <laughs> Although that would be kind of a fun prop to use. Like, look, I, I'm not going to spend hundreds of dollars on actual metal coins. Let's just use monopoly money. Yeah. It's like this, this thousand note. Is what you find in the Kobold's corpse. <laughs> because he cheats at Monopoly and he deserved to die. <laughs> really solves the guilt of these, you know, uh, warriors protecting their tribe. Yep. So, so there are some ways to break the economy in 5th edition. Like, the very simplest way to do it is the Poisoner feat. With the Poisoner feat, you get to make poison, which is way better than the basic poison that you can just buy out of the player's handbook. It's like four times as good. It's nuts. And it costs 50 gold pieces, which is how much it costs to buy that basic poison. So if you sold your fancy poison that you made with your feet, like it makes it takes an hour to make a number of doses equal to your proficiency bonus. So let's say you're level one. You make two doses in an hour. You can turn that right around and sell them for, let's say, 100 gold pieces total. You've made 50 gold pieces in an hour. 50 gold pieces is like a month's wages for a normal person. So you are immediately, immediately at level one, just shattering the economy. Yeah. Well, and, and the unfortunate thing here is now you expect the DM to become an economist and make this argument that like, <laughs> yeah, you know, I bought the first one at 100, but then like, you sold me the eighth one and you kind of flooded because I don't have that many people to kill here. <laughs> I do think it is interesting that in a world where people make like, you know, maybe two or three gold per month or whatever. Why, why are they still doing that? <laughs> like go be an adventurer. You're making way more than that. Like, yeah. how does that make any sense? <laughs> what? And to be clear, this person, this particular leveled character doesn't even have to adventure. They just got to make poison for people. Yeah. So it turns out that the Jeffrey Bezos of the uh, D&D world is your local alchemist. Who knew? 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they start dropping poison and by drones in your backyard. Yeah. You Who's the find it it's full of wheat. Who's the richest guy in town? Who owns that manor up there? Oh yeah, he's the yeah. The alchemist is that rich? Yeah, he just started selling a bunch of poison for a profit. <laughs> yeah. Also, there's been a sharp uptick in poisonings and also spiked gauntlet sales. <laughs> Damn you, Rinfrey Gazos. <laughs> no, 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 it's Befrey Jesus. That's what I said. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <laughs> anything beyond the poisoner feet generally are going to require magic. The fabricate spell lets you take raw materials, turn them into something expensive. So if you have a pile of scrap metal, cast fabricate as an action. Magically, you have 1,500 gold pieces of full plate. Done. And economy is gone immediately. Um, At high levels, you can literally just wish for money. Like, hey, I wish I had tens of thousands of gold just sitting here. Great. Fabricate, also known as learn this one trick. Smiths hate him. <laughs> What's really fun is when you start fabricating doors into toothpicks because you hate locks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Solved that problem. Hey, hey, do you want me to just? <laughs> we keep going. Yeah, the I mean the idea of like wish breaking the economy. I feel like when you've hit that level, like yeah. you probably already acquired the means to wealth. It's it's like you know it, it's a superhero. Where it's like, you know, you can literally just walk into the bank and take the gold. And it's like, yeah, but what would be the fun in that? <laughs> I mean, we're at the realm of infinite uh, simulacrum creation. So That's true. <laughs> yeah, you're, already bre- you're already breaking everything in the world. Yeah, the, the economy of people. <laughs> so, all right. So we've hit those things. Now, I, I, I guess I want to say, like, it feels like this is mainly a problem. For a DM at lower levels? Um, let's see. Uh, yes and no. So at low levels, until the players can afford all of their basic equipment, so full plate, until they can afford like a near-infinite supply of healing potions, gold is still somewhat valuable because the ability to buy a bunch of 50 gold-piece healing potions means you can stretch your capacity through an adventuring day because you're not eating your hit dice quite as fast. Or uh, if one of your party members goes down, you have a way to save them. But once you get past that like critical mass of gold where those, those minor expenses and full plate eventually becomes a minor expense, which is weird... Um, <laughs> Once you get past those minor expenses, yeah, basically gold becomes uh, monopoly money. So, like, it it works okay at low levels. And the way that I feel about it is, like, at the earlier levels, your characters are not quite superheroes. The wizards are sincerely squishy and honestly not that effective. Right? How dare you? No, I mean it, though. (laughs) It's like all those dead level two wizards laying out there. They know what I mean. Yep, 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 yep. If if you are starting a campaign at level one or level two, I think it's generally like we've talked about it before. It's a great way to introduce characters, characters. Well, it's a great way to introduce the players to the game and just walk them through before the complexity really starts to ramp up. But that being said, like the most fun of two and three and four is the fact that you are squishy and the characters might not make it. By the time you get to 10 and above, I feel like you're superheroes. You're meant to be superheroes. That's how the game is designed is for you to be superheroes. You know, what superheroes don't worry about. Money. Money. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I've watched. Uh, I've watched the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. 
That's fair. Actually, that was a great exploration of the topic, and I feel like we should probably integrate that in at some point. But, <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I feel like if anything, once you get past level 10, the problem in 5e is like, what do I do with all of this wealth I'm amassing? So I guess uh, that is a good question, and I think it's not one that maybe we should cut, swing back to, but uh, the question that I'm interested in is why does this not feel like it's a problem in other RPGs? That's a great question to ask. Uh, so we hit on 3X and 4E where there is that wealth by level curve, but pick almost any other RPG and you don't have this problem. So I, I like to talk about Fantasy Flight Star Wars a whole lot. Uh, uh, Final Fantasy, Fantasy Flight. Uh, Final Fantasy some, Flight Star Wars, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, put some <laughs> F-words in there. Um, Wait, not those. Not those no, F-words. Not, not those. This is, a, this is a family-friendly show. Yes. Uh, so, Star Wars, some things are expensive. Uh, most of the things you need, like your basic equipment, like it'll be reasonably affordable. So, like those petty expenses, those are fine. But if you need like a ship, a vehicle, like things like that are ludicrously expensive and they also tend to explode. So, you need to have a bunch of money on hand to purchase and maintain those things. So like you'd have to play like edge of the empire or whatever for an absurdly long time to get to the point that you have enough credits laying around to just be like, ah, my freighter blew up weird. I guess I'll drive my backup freighter. Um, Yeah. A lot of other games similarly don't have that problem. One ring just, literally just doesn't track individual coinage like you don't have like here's how many silver pieces i have or whatever it's just you have this wealth stat and then you use that to say like i can afford to own these things like i have this level of a fancy horse this level of fancy armor yeah and related off of that as the resident uh expert on call of cthulhu (laughs) expert i guess call of cthulhu and uh vampire the masquerade Use similar systems. Uh, their wealth is not tracked individually by number. It's tracked as like a feature of your character. So if in Vampire, uh, wealth is kind of tracked in assets, uh, like in your background, like they're, they're part of your background or they're part of uh, some perks you can get. Like, oh, I own this property. I own this kind of asset. It's more of like a liquid asset, stuff that you could liquidize. Um, whereas Call of Cthulhu... Uh, is it's uh, credit rating is an actual skill that you can uh, that you have. Yeah, it's an actual skill that you can't track <laughs> in your character sheet, and it's uh, it's a reflection of your wealth and stuff. So minor per- everyday purchases, like let's say if you need to get a gun or you know food or stuff like that, that's uh, you you just uh, you don't need to do anything for that. Like it's assumed that if you're above a certain status level, that you can just afford that stuff. But for bigger purchases, that calls for a credit rating skill check to see if you have the funds available in order to buy, purchase the thing. Okay, so it kind of feels like the real life version of like when you put down a credit card, is it made out of metal, <laughs> like soft plastic, or like is hey, is this basically paper? Is that what you gave me? <laughs> well, I mean, credit cards weren't a thing in Call of, uh, in the time when Call of Cthulhu takes place because it was 1930s and 1920s. But it's, it's, mo- it's more about, like, your wealth status, like how much money you have access to in, like, your bank account. So people, rather than using credit cards, write in checks. 
So. And, and, and that does make sense to me. Um, as a person who hasn't actually studied history and is basically going to make something up on the spot, <laughs> I can imagine if you're like the person who's running an estate and you realize like, ah, like I need a bunch of new horses. I go to my horse fellow. What do we call those people? Barriers? Is that? Barrier, yeah. Is that right? Okay. I, yeah. I go to my horse people. We're going to stick with that for now. And it's like, yeah, I need 10 horses because we have to pull plows. That's what I was told. And like, you're not going to hand them cash and gold. They're going to send somebody a bill. And then your accountant's going to be sitting in their tiny hut that you gave them, just holding their skull <laughs> in their head, thinking, why are you buying these horses? I can't do this. Yep. Yep. Um, so yeah, that, that manifestation of wealth makes perfect sense to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just like because I think Call of Cthulhu and Vampire realized nobody likes accounting. Uh, accounting, <laughs> we're not playing this game to be accountants. <laughs> yeah, so stop trying to make us accountants. Like, just really let us, want... just let us buy the cool thing. That's all we want. I really wanted to play Call of Cthulhu, but I didn't want to buy a license for Excel. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, yep. and, and I mean, we're gonna get to this, but I feel like that's the thing we have to avoid, right? Like, if I need a spreadsheet to track my wealth and what I'm spending it on. Okay, I don't build a budget for my real life. You think I'm going to build it for my fantasy life? Is that where you think we're at? Nope, nope. <laughs> Look, I, I, I'm exactly that person who has a spreadsheet for my character's wealth and income. Well, no one's talking about you, Tyler. I know. Wait, we know, wait, what, you, we wait, know wait. what kind of person no. you are. <laughs> Let him finish his sentence because I think this is going to be gold. Oh, okay. But okay. I do not have a spreadsheet for my real life wealth and income. Ah, yeah. There it is. <laughs> honestly, the fantasy character's ledger, much more agreeable. Yeah. I, I'm going to be honest. My financial literacy expands not very far past my shelf of D&D books. If only you were as good at uh, financial optimization as you are a character. <laughs> <laughs> well, How much of that involves rolling dice? Because from what I'm told, rolling dice is not a good financial choice. <laughs> it's, it's, it's how you lose money, actually. Yeah. yeah. I, right. I'm going to ask you a different question. How many of your real-life financial problems can be solved by fireballing a dragon? Oh, uh, you know, I have yet to meet a dragon, so technically, as far as I know, all of them. <laughs> Buddy, I don't think that's the right conclusion. I mean, <laughs> it, look, it's the Schrodinger's financial solution. I haven't found a dragon to fireball yet, so we don't know if it will or won't work. Yeah, you like, can't prove a negative. <laughs> T- Tyler's going to buy lottery tickets. It's like, I'm going to find that dragon. <laughs> Lady behind the counter doesn't know what he's talking about. It's like, hey, we're gonna, they're crazy around here. Yeah, lottery tickets go nuts. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> speaking of which, <laughs> Merkborg. <laughs> Merkborg. <laughs> well, a game where if you find a dragon and can also cast Fireball, you're probably dead. Uh, yeah. <laughs> They'll find a way to kill you. There, yeah. there are uh, two heads on the basilisk, and there are two basilisks, and there, here we go. Um, <laughs> Actually, no, but, so, if I remember right, one of the mishaps for casting spells is one of the basilisks shows up and eats you. So you Correct. can cast fireball. There can be no dragon in sight. Basilisk is like, sup, snack. <laughs> <laughs> Great news. New character sheet. You know what that means? <laughs> you don't have to worry about the previous fellow's bank account. <laughs> all that gold? All that gold's in the basilisk now. <laughs> what are you going to do about it? Gone. <laughs> Nothing. 
<laughs> just gone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that does solve the gold problems in Merkborg, uh, because no one lives long enough to get rich. Like, yeah, well, and like <laughs> stuff's constantly breaking. You have consumables that go away. <laughs> Your characters are willy nilly dying everywhere. Um, I think Merkborg does some interesting things for gold. So the idea that, uh, and we've talked about it on the show in the past, right? There's this morale system where you might be able to capture enemies alive. You also might be able to capture them dead. And by that, I mean kill them. Um, but <laughs> they have value, and typically it's more value alive, less value dead. The problem with that, like monster skulls are heavy, right? <laughs> you know, you're you're going out on an adventure, and it's like I, uh, you know, it's like playing Skyrim all over again. It's like I can't carry all this. I guess I don't know. I'll put down these six sets of dragon's bones, and I'll carry these three ingots of gold because that's all I have capacity for. Yeah, I've done that wealth triage in Skyrim, and it's like I've got so much treasure. I just need to buy a house to put it in. Yeah. Dragon bones are the worst. <laughs> They're so heavy, and you don't need that many of them. <laughs> yeah, it's like instead, I want a hundred potions of greater magicka because that's what's going to get me through. <laughs> it's all about density, folks. That's really what we're getting at. <laughs> that's actually a that's actually a good example. Looking at Skyrim and other video games, like how do they handle gold? Like Skyrim, as you gain level, you get like the shops will have more expensive magic items so like instead of having your your iron sword that deals one point of fire damage you'll have your like is it adamantine is it adamantine in skyrim can't remember uh, so. that ebony ebony, is ebony right, yeah, yeah. Ebony, oh, ebony ebony yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So adamantine doesn't feel right but i can't remember what the right answer is right now yeah, yeah. your yeah. ebony sword that will deal a hundred fire damage and be like oh look there's several comas in this price tag and then there's daedric right above ebony yeah yeah (laughs) what if i sold you a sword from literal hell it's like this sounds rad (laughs) it sure does but it's sure weird to find it at a a roadside farm stand (laughs) yeah it's like lady yesterday you also offered me turnips what are we doing here (laughs) ah the joys of level scaling and elder scrolls games (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I actually okay i do think there's some interesting things to talk about when it comes to like managing gold or managing wealth in video games um like our our jrpgs i feel like really get it right like think of the older final fantasy series so i'm thinking like you know uh six to twelve or i guess us three to twelve where i actually have experience points i have gold that i'm spending i want to level up I want to level up my mate, uh, materia, if we're thinking about seven, my magicite in six, and then I actually have items to spend gold. Like, I need Phoenix Downs, because when my people fall, I need to wake them up. Um, incidentally, I feel like a feather pillow, like the Phoenix Down. You know, I pulled feathers from <laughs> Phoenix. A feather pillow is not the right way to wake somebody up, in my mind, but... <laughs> you just t- you're just tickling their nose with it. Come on, smell like sauce. Absolutely not. <laughs> I want them to sneeze on me. Um, but like, yeah. yeah, that's a great comparison. Like, that's essentially that wealth by level curve. Like, as you gain levels, you'll be able to buy better items, better spells, all those things, and that is part of the power scaling in those games. Yeah. So there's a concept in game design called the gold or money sink uh, and it's an important th- concept that a lot of games do need to sort of address uh it, it's a so like 
as as uh randall was saying like some other jrpgs are usually pretty good about this like dark souls you know that's where your main method of improving your skills is also tied to the currency and you can lose your currency when you die uh if you die twice so that is a good way to sink it uh but this becomes really important and some of the things that we could probably take take inspiration from when we talk about the edition is uh mmos massive multiplayer online games. because okay, before that... we before we leave dark souls though i want to hit on right like yeah, yeah, with, yeah. Dark, with dark souls it isn't just that if you die you lose all the money that you've earned and, and for folks who are familiar with the mechanic basically if you die once you drop all your money in place then you have to fight your way back there to get your money back what's interesting to me there is you have the choice of spending your money to level up your attributes or to buy items, whether that be weapons or consumables or anything else. So literally, there's only one currency, and that currency drives improving your statistics as well as literally everything else about your character, which is a huge juxtaposition when you think of typical JRPGs where it's like, I've got an item economy where I can level up my items, and I've got a gold economy where I can buy new items, and then I've got my level economy where I can level up my, my person. So I spend my time to earn all three of those things and then you know it's allocated it, it's dictated how i spend each of those things dark souls is like nope one currency bucket and that's it yeah no and that is it that is an excellent way to uh to ensure that gold is always valuable or that whatever currency you're using is always valuable um so with the discussion of mmos the reason why i feel it's relevant is that is a that is a uh those are games that actually have an in-game economy that is tied to player usage and player player resources so balancing that can be very important and uh one of the discussions that came up recently around this was the comparison between world of warcraft and final fantasy 14 the two major mmos so you said before randall that jrpgs are very good about this not so in this case. Um, so one of the things that people are talking about, because like someone who doesn't know much about those games, they'll go into World of Warcraft, and let's leave the the WoW token where you can pay real money to get gold, because that's a whole other game. But uh, in the in the marketplace, they'll see gold and like like the most expensive item may be like two million gold or something like that. But if you go to Final Fantasy fourteen. Uh, suddenly, uh, the most expensive item is like 50 million gil, which is what they call gold. <laughs> and people are like, why? And it's because there's too much gold in the game that people just don't have anything to spend on. Like in World of Warcraft, they have money sinks, which are these really rare, expensive mounts. Like one of the ones that they sold was like, you had to spend 5 million gold to get it. Final Fantasy doesn't have that, and that's a problem. And it, it creates an issue where the richest person has, you know, like 500 million gold and nothing to spend it on. Um, so swinging back to the beginning of the podcast where we made the joke, I like gold. I think gold <laughs> member was right. Maybe gold is best put into a project on a massive scale. <laughs> You see what I did there? Yeah. Uh, I do. No, we need to make a we need to make a golden rocket ship. <laughs> That's how we solve the gold problem. 
Hey folks, look at that thing up in the sky. It looks like a big... Resident Evil is another thing that I want to mention right quick. <laughs> um, so Show notes I, are going to be so weird. Yeah. Um, so as a compromise between kind of these ideas of like, well, I, I spend my gold and I spend my gold to get things, or is, is, is my currency everything tied to it? Um, I mainly want to focus on Resident Evil 4 and Resident Evil 8. Resident Evil 4, you are in the village of the damned. You're getting attacked by randos where, like, when their heads explode, these creatures come out and starting attacking you. And, like, it's terrifying. And then all of a sudden you meet a man wearing, like, a thing across his face and he's in a cape and he opens up the cape and it's, like, ammo and guns and stuff. And, you know, what are you buying? And you're like, I don't, what? What do you mean, what am I buying? <laughs> like, I don't trust you. But you do. You totally do. Because you've been earning money this entire time, picking it up randomly, like, well, surely this currency is, is going to come in handy. Like, I'm going to need to spend the local currency. Uh, and the dude is your person. It's like, oh, you need upgrades. And, like, you give him money, and he upgrades your guns and stuff. And as a player in the video game, you're like, yeah, no, I'm totally into it. This is fine. This isn't absurd at all. <laughs> I say that to say, in tabletop games, I feel like we don't do that, right? I have never once put a person in front of my players, be like, you know, hey, nobody's been in this, uh, you know, this cavern in the Underdark in like 100 years, and there's only these crazy creatures. Then all of a sudden, a merchant rolls through, and it's like, I've got things for gold. You know what your characters would do to that, that character? Kill him. Kill them and take everything they have. <laughs> yeah. I mean, JRPGs <sighs> love the random NPC merchant in a dungeon. Like, hey, what you buying? <laughs> Octopath what? Traveler did the same thing. It's like you're, you're in a cave trying to hunt some pirates, and then there's this guy right before the boss room who's like, I have stuff for sale. It's like, who are you? Who, who cares? Uh, just buy yeah. things. Look, <laughs> it's this or a town portal. Okay, well, what do you want? And, and so I, the way that I feel about this, as much as we all collectively complain about, like, oh, gold's worthless, and, like, uh, you know, I can't make gold meaningful, if the players in the DM could just agree that I have a trope where a merchant rolls in in the middle of the dungeon and is like, hey, you folks didn't pack enough health potions, or rope, and I'm here to sell them to you. And everybody could just agree this isn't weird, and we're gonna go through with it, and we're not gonna be super suspicious. I feel like it'd be better for everybody. Okay, I have I have something for this. So uh we had Hannah from Dames and Dragons on the podcast a little while ago. One of one of my absolute favorite things in their podcast is they have a recurring NPC named Dashing Dawson. Uh, Dashing Dawson and his deal donkey appear at random times and present the party with a bunch of magic items for purchase. They hate this character. They hate this character so much because he is <laughs> so awful, but always has these wonderful magic items that are very handy. Uh, he's some sort of like demigod of trade or something like that. So like his, his magical deity power is he, he shows up when you have too much money. <laughs> That's awesome. And you can just steal I love that. that. Like, you can just steal that from Dames and Dragons and then be like, yes, thank you, Cat and the rest of the crew. Like, this was a wonderful idea, and I'm enjoying this very much. Thank you. That is yeah. a great idea. 
<laughs> that fireball didn't hurt at all. Uh, <laughs> what are you buying? Well, it, he's a demigod, so you know there's a like there's some amount of durability there. A hundred percent. So uh, Mert Borg actually takes that the other direction. There's a character a lot like that, except for you can kill them. They come back from the dead anyway, and they trust you less. <laughs> oh man, I feel bad for that guy. Yeah. Mertborn, Mertborn heretic, heretic. We've had that conversation. We sure have. So, with Mertborn, this in mind, heretic, you did it. So, with this in mind, what are some of the roys besides demigods of trade <laughs> that we can spend gold on without it feeling like, hey, you guys have too much gold. Give me some of it. <laughs> what a weird thing for a dungeon master to say. <laughs> uh, yes, that, that is a great question. So the first and most obvious answer is just create attrition. So Ash, you talked about those money sinks. Um, just having like a stable ongoing cost that the players constantly have to pay, like chips away at that wealth over time. At low levels, food, ammunition, uh, trail rations, things like that, which like when you're level one, two, three, that gold adds up pretty quickly. Beyond those levels, like it's going to be like, I've got like 10,000 gold trail rations cost like a silver piece. Can we just not? Um, at that point, start tracking more expensive things, health potions, alchemist fire, acid, like things, things that they're going to use in fights to stay alive like your your food and your arrows and stuff those are going to matter matter less but see our survival episode but yeah alchemist fire it's real expensive i would say also look at your highest level spellcasters if they're using material components look at the material components for their highest level spells and just start tracking that gold and when they level up start tracking the next highest it isn't you know at that point a full inventory simulator but you can still do a really good job of basically saying it's like okay but you did consume like a thousand gold items worth of uh material components in that last adventure maybe you should think about restocking that yeah fifth edition has actually made that pretty easy to do because most of the material components are either something permanent so like you buy some expensive thing that you reuse like uh uh here's a figurine of a dragon that costs a thousand gold pieces or something like that the expendable stuff is usually either powdered silver or powdered diamond. And you can just be like, I have 20,000 gold pieces of powdered diamond and I've got to like replenish that when I can, because if you run out of that, like you won't be able to cast revivify and then you'll be sad. Well, you know, you'll be more sad than the other characters because the other characters are dead. <laughs> so my favorite way to deal with uh, gold bloat is uh, projects. Um, either a stronghold of some kind or uh, one of the things I used from a steampunk campaign that I was using was uh, an airship. And uh, the airship required a crew that needed to be paid. It had upkeep costs, but you could also add, add things to it that would give you bonuses and stuff like that. So there are rules for owning property and uh, ships and stuff in the DMG, but if you really want to go into the weeds about that and really and like make it that players want to just spend more and more money because you can really you can really go crazy with some of this stuff. Uh, I recommend checking out uh, MCDM's Strongholds uh, uh, book because it has a lot of really good stuff and it really encourages players to be like, "Ooh, 
if we save up like you know twenty thousand gold pieces or something, we can add a chapel, which will give us like inspiration or something once per day if we rest in the chapel. Um, so your players will want to do the. We talked about gold sinks. This is a really effective way to get people to sink their gold into big projects. And we'll put a link to the show notes. If you want to take a look at that, you can. I do want to call out, I love that your first example was basically the real life version of like, what if we bought a boat to put our money into? <laughs> yep. But it was uh, arguably way more useful. hundred <laughs> percent. Oh, oh, <laughs> My boat's stuck in the lake. <laughs> Still, just pour money into it. <laughs> it's uh, the, the one uh, the one piece of good financial advice I have for people is don't be the guy who owns the boat. Have be friends with the guy who owns the boat. <laughs> Bring the beer to the boat. Damn. Everybody loves that guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that is honestly a a great example. Strongholds, um, a big expensive thing like a ship or an airship. Um, those are separate things. Watership, landship, airship. Uh, having those big expensive investments that players want to keep putting money into is a great way to make gold matter. And it feels rewarding to have those things like uh, uh, Forbidden Lands, which we've talked about on a couple of recent episodes. As like once characters get experienced and wealthy enough that like the basic day to day things are less of a threat, you have enough money to start considering a stronghold. And then you get your stronghold, you start upgrading it, and that essentially changes the shape of play from, like, I'm a murder hobo to um, I am now the king murder, murder hobo. And... Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and I need to maintain my, my uh, great castle from all of these other murder hobos that would like to come and take it when I leave. So... It adds this new dynamic to play that's very, very rewarding. And yeah, MCDM, Strongholds and Followers, is very, very well regarded as a source for doing this in 5e. Also, I would say, like, um, if you're going to do the Stronghold route, um, like, one of the reasons why I think uh, Airship worked really well from, works really well, uh, or just a ship in general, is it's, it doubles as a headquarters and transportation, so people will always be interacting. Uh, the problem with strongholds in a typical game is that players will leave for an extended period of time and may not come back to their stronghold. But I find that if you want to do strongholds and you really want to get into the weeds of it, you, you should do a West Marches style of game where people have, have the one base that they, that they uh, come back to between every session uh, when they're going exploring and stuff. So that, allow, that allows a real, some real attachment to that particular stronghold as it grows and builds, and every time they go out and adventure, they get more stuff that they can pump into this stronghold. Uh, I think also uh, Zoe, when she came on and talked about bison, that's a good example of something. Oh, we haven't gotten to air that episode. They keep pushing back the, uh, the embargo date. But, oh, right. But yes, bison is a wonderful RPG. Um, and has another excellent, excellent system for maintaining a home base. So um, uh, we haven't talked about it on the podcast as of when this episode airs, but it's a great game. And Vison is out and available now. Great yes. news, folks. There's an expansion coming soon from our friends at Free League Publishing. Um, and if you're doing that West Marches style game, like you will eventually reach the point where players are like, I can cast Plane Shift or Teleport or whatever, and they're going to go. They're going to want to go a little further afield than just where they can get on a horse simple solution teleportation circles put them in a couple of other places and be like 
where are we going to adventure today, folks? I don't know. There's a teleportation circle in the middle of this trackless desert. Let's go see what's there. You can pull inspiration from Diablo, waypoints, and town portals. Basically the same concept. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I literally used that in a campaign with Tyler where I was like scrambling to try to find out like what are the actual right spells to do this because I just don't <laughs> want to deal with the fact that you can go from point A to point B. <laughs> it, it worked. <laughs> You've broken into the stronghold of these uh, politicians and there's a dragon zombie. <laughs> deal with that. <laughs> yeah, that was a fun section. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, so another wonderful thing you can dump money into hirelings. So Ash, you mentioned having a staff on the airship. So like having having the crew that maintains your stronghold, like who's going to clean it? Who's going to guard the gates while you're not there? Um, who's going to like repair the walls? Because, you know, big enough castle, you need a mason or something like those people cost money. Yeah. And sometimes you can uh, combine the two and. um have more interesting uh, stuff. You can like bring them with you on adventures and stuff. Cause like uh, another game that I ran, uh, they, the group was basically trying to refound this, this respected guild that had lost favor. So they had this old uh, guild hall that had been in disrepair. They were repairing it, adding rooms to it and also recruiting new members to join the guild uh, so that they could, you know, have more success with these missions and they could only bring one follower at a time. But each follower had like this cool, interesting way that they met them. They had a backstory and stuff. Some of them had awesome powers. There was one that was a dog that could just turn into a huge shadow monster um, <laughs> who they loved, even though sometimes it would it would lose control and just attack people at random. But they loved this dog for and took it on all of their adventures. But yeah, that is like Oof. you could have your hirelings. They, they can either stay and like provide you bonuses to your stronghold and stuff or you can take them out and adventure with them and either way they're getting paid so and i do think there's a huge role in a party for that especially if your party is understaffed like let's say you don't have a designated healer or a designated spellcaster using hirelings or sidekicks is awesome and i will say we did a podcast way back when on hirelings and sidekicks and because the rules haven't changed that much still holds up today now, we, ha we haven't really dug into magic items, which are reasonably the thing that people are going to think, like, I have so much gold. I have so much gold. Please, I just want to buy a plus one sword. The, the rules for setting the exact price in 5th edition are vague and frustrating. Xanathar's does okay, and we have a couple support supporting articles on the site that we'll link in the show notes for, like, how you as a DM can handle those that will add, like basically give you some advice on how to set those prices and how to handle the other stuff around those. Um, if you as the DM are going to allow your players to buy magic items, keep in mind that that does make them more powerful than the game expects. And that might be okay for you. Just, you know, be prepared to handle that. If everyone in the party realizes that a broom of flying is an only, only an uncommon magic item, you might have some trouble, so watch out for that one. But, you know, you you also, as the DM, have the choice to be like, okay, you have these 10 magic items available for purpose because that's what Dashing Dawson could fit on the back of his, his deal donkey today. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, uh, the rules are there. They're not amazing, but, um, again, supporting article in the show notes, which will help you out. And 
consider it, but don't let things get too crazy because it'll break your game if you do. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think that's where, you know, right. This steps back into pacing and combat, but basically realizing that if you've given them this freedom, maybe you start beating them up harder. You're allowed to punch harder as a DM. And uh, here's the deal. It's going to be great. Yeah, I think Mike Merle said, I'm okay if my players break the game because I can break the game 10 times more than they can. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's on brooms of flying. Oh, look, all of your enemies are warlocks with uh, that one thing that knocks you off of your broom of flying. Yep. Yeah. And then they steal your broom of flying. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we do have a question of the week this week. This week, our question of the week comes to us from Stubbins on Discord. How do you handle gold having completely different value to each class? Fighter needs to save up for full plate and casters need expensive components. But a monk has no weapons, armor, components, and even a fairly limited range of magic items that they'd want. If a party splits gold evenly, it always seems to end up in some classes always needing more, with other classes running out of things to spend it all on. I think this is a really great question. I think it's something that we all kind of touched on. Is that, yeah, there are going to be some th things that, you know, fighters and casters need, but monks typically aren't. I think the way that you handle that is, I mean, you, one, you just have to accept it as an inevitability. But two, it comes back to those group purchases, like either a magic item that benefits everybody, or, you know, a stronghold or a follower. Um, any of that stuff uh, is something that the whole party can, like, spend stuff on just because you don't necessarily spend gold on it does i don't think creates a whole lot of issues unless again like this the same people are getting the same amount of gold and you don't have anything to spend it on but you can put your gold towards those group projects yeah i think again i think this is a great question so um the dm that we had running uh rhyme of the frost for us actually feel like did a really good job of this because we would get one magic item at a time and we would look around the group and we would say who would benefit and how would the party benefit the most from a particular person getting this magic item? and i will say that i feel like distributing gold kind of has to feel the same way at some point where if the dm puts in front of you it's like yeah collectively you have 1200 gold let's do better you have 1600 gold <laughs> and it's 1500 gold for that full plate does everybody want to put the money in uh, so that we can have somebody standing out front absorbing the hits with that full plate. And obviously to the party, it's beneficial to everybody if that person gets what they need. Um, I think the trick for this, and this is, you know, this goes back to the idea of the social fix, is getting the group to recognize that this can't be a greedy, like, oh, I need mine, I need mine, and you need to figure it out on your own. We're not competing. This is collaborative, and we're trying to work together. Um, I... I hope that it can be okay. But that being said, of course, like certain systems like Adventures League is going to kind of put it in front of you that, no, that's not really how the game is meant to be played. The game is meant to be played that you have your gold pool and nobody's giving you gold outside of that. Um, I, I think most tables can benefit from that. You know, the it's kind of altruistic because if you don't die, then as a wizard, I probably don't die. Exactly. I would also take the way Adventures League runs things with a huge grain of salt <laughs> yeah i mean they're limited by the need for your character to be portable if uh yeah. if you go into a game and you're like okay 
everyone in the party can collectively afford to buy full plate for the one person who's a fighter today. Like you go and buy full plate and then you go to your next game with a bunch of different people and like, okay, the fighter needs full plates. Like, sorry, man, I bought full plate for the last guy. I don't need it at the office. <laughs> yeah. Your investment doesn't add up to much. I, that's the problem with adventures. The gold problem is exacerbated. a lot. Of yeah. Um, so so I think there's actually room here to use gold to balance things between both classes and between characters. So at low levels, like martial characters that need full plate, just they need to be able to get full plate sooner, in my opinion. Like full plate costs 1,500 gold pieces. You could just chop that one off. Nothing important changes about the game. If if full plate costs 500 gold pieces, it's still the most expensive thing in the player's handbook by like 200 gold. They can get it at level three instead of level six. And like, that's perfectly fine. That's not going to break your game. The fighter, the paladin, all those characters in full plate get to feel like they're playing their character that much sooner and not that much changes. It's like, but even if you go without that house rule, um, as you get into high levels, spellcasters need to spend more and more gold on those expensive material components for things like restoration, raised dead, stone skin, things like that. Things that are going to cost them money, those gold piece costs are there to balance those powerful spells in a lot of ways. Martial characters don't have those limitations. Like, I have my full plate and my long sword, and that's basically all I need. So they have that gold that they could be spending on magic items. So by presenting more of those martial-focused magic items, you can keep those martial characters competitive with spellcasters way, way later in the game. I think another way that you could also balance it for martial ca- uh, martial characters is, I mean, I, I'm going to maybe say something that is controversial, but just stick with it. Um, you could have their, the fighters and stuff need to maintain their equipment or repair their armor. Like in Pathfinder 2, armor can wear and tear and it can even break and you need to spend money in order to maintain it. Um, or if you want to get a feat or maybe some sort of... Uh, if you want to get proficient in another skill, you have to pay a trainer, stuff like that. So that is another way that you can balance it across all classes. Monks need training in order to take feats too, or get new skills. So that's a way that you can do it. See, I was going the opposite. Like monks don't need a lot, but they kind of just suck. So it's fine. <laughs> well, that's monks what, that's... can be good. They can be good. They're. I feel like monks are crapped on a lot, but I feel like monks are pretty good. Hey, but I'm starting a new campaign. You picking a monk? No. <laughs> and, uh, and on that note. All hail the Leisure Illuminati. I'm Randall James. You'll find me at AmateurJack.com and on Twitter and Instagram at JackAmateur. I'm Tyler Campstill. You'll find me playing a monk. <laughs> <You'll>, <laughs> you probably won't. Oh, no, you will right now. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, You'll find me at RPGBot.net, <laughs> Facebook and Twitter, RPGBOT, D-O-T, N-E-T, uh, Patreon.com slash RPGBot. Uh, and I'm Ash Eli. You can follow me on Twitter at Graven Ashes. I'm also now officially on uh, startplaying.games. So if you are looking for a game and you and your friends are looking for a game and want someone to run a game for you, yeah, you can find me at Ash Eli, A S H space E L Y. Yeah.
If you've enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcast and rate us on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. It's a quick, free way to support the podcast and helps us to reach new listeners. You can find links in the show notes. You'll find affiliate links for sourcebooks and other materials linked in the show notes, as well as on RPGBot.net. Following these links helps us to make the show happen every week. If your question should be the question of the week next week, please email podcast at RPGBot.net or message us on Twitter at RPGBOTDOTNET. Please also consider supporting us on Patreon, where you'll find ad-free podcast episodes, early access to RPGBot.content, content polls for future content, and access to the RPGBot.discord. You'll find us at patreon.com slash RPGBot. Good job, guys. I think we created gold. It wasn't that good. I'm sorry. (laughs) The pod was great. The joke was... uh,